I'm Pat, and this is Y2K Movies, a podcast about the films of the 21st century. Today's episode, we are talking about, we are continuing our Edgar, Edgar Wright retrospective, and we're getting into 2021's Last Night in Soho. An aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s, where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. It was originally scheduled to be released on uh, 25th of September 2020, but was delayed to April 23, 2021, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, before being delayed again to October 22nd. And then again to the following weekend, October 29th, 2021. And I think that's why I did not see this one in the theater. Uh, it came out holiday weekend, Halloween weekend. And then uh, a week later, I found out I needed open heart surgery. And my mind was elsewhere. So I, I missed this one in the theater. Uh, I didn't see it until you recommended that we do this Edgar Wright thing. And God damn, am I fucking pissed. Because... And the concept didn't really do much for me either. Like it, it was very British, right? It was very much about England, and it was a ghost story. And you know, Edgar Wright, whatever. I just, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, Daniel. I, it was one of those cases where I should, I, at this point, I should have learned to trust Edgar Wright. I like the shit he makes. Edgar Wright made this shit, therefore, I was gonna like it. I absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for making me watch this. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Uh, is it? Is it my favorite Edgar Wright movie? I don't know, but I will say that it's probably um, technically his best. I, I will say that I do kind of like Shaun of the Dead, and I do I really like Scott Pilgrim. Going back and rewatching that, I don't know if this necessarily beats either one of those. But man, can you see this motherfucking gr growing as a filmmaker? And he's getting better and stronger, and he's got such a defined and like specific presence. Um, I'm going to shut up now, but, but yeah, I fucking love this movie. Uh, yeah. So whenever I, this did come out, I think uh, my wife and I saw it. If it wasn't opening weekend, it would have been the next weekend because I remember that we had uh, to get a babysitter so we can go watch this. We were both super excited for it. Her, because she liked just the way it looked and then me because of Edgar Wright. <laughs> she, you know, she, she tries to support me in my movies, but she was like, Oh, this looks really good. Come to find out. She actually really loved this movie, which same I did too. Uh, it for her immediately. It took one of those things where like she, she loved it immediately for me. It actually took, I had to do, uh, let it digest. Like, and then like a couple days later, I was like, that movie was so fucking good. And I tell people about it all the time. Because I was like, I was excited for two different reasons. One, it was Edgar Wright, and two, it was going to be kind of like a horror thriller movie. Sure. And and that's it did it it did exactly everything I wanted. Um, I liked the the two actresses that were in it, uh, Thomason McKenzie and Anya Taylor Joy, which uh, Thomason McKenzie I actually got introduced to from Jojo Rabbit, and then. Anya Taylor Joy has been like on the radar since like The Witch, and she has been like in everything lately, which is really awesome for her because I have she's actually one of my favorite like actresses to watch now, and I mean she's just she's just blowing shell the water, you know. This year 
this year, the Northman came out and she was in that. And she's in a bunch of Robert, uh, is it Eggers or those movies? The the witch, yeah. yeah, that like that, like uh, well, he only has three, but she's in two of the three, and then he is about to make a new Nosferatu, which I'm not sure if she's going to be in it or not, but um, mm. but I like I really enjoyed her also through this whole movie, you know the <laughs> just just Edgar Wright's directing his. His uh, cuts were fucking amazing, and uh, you know, it's just it's it's another Edgar Wright movie, just different people, and I I really feel like I mean he's definitely top five directors in the last I would probably say forty fifty years. She was uh, sticking with the uh, with the talent real quick before we get on to him. She was also in the Queen's Gambit, which I remember my wife watching. And uh, I walked past in front of the walked past the TV a couple times and kind of dug it. <laughs> uh, she's going to be Princess Peach in the Super Mario Project with Chris Pratt as uh, Mario. She's playing Furiosa in the Furioso uh, Furiosa prequel um, Mad Max movie. That's oh yeah, I'm super right excited now. about that. And where I first noticed her in a movie that I would love to cover for this podcast, uh, something that really slipped through the fucking cracks, and I think it was like. During the pandemic, it it, it it finally came out in the theaters, and um, I went to go see it. It was probably the first, the old, like the first pandemic movie that I remember seeing, The New Mutants, where she played uh, Ileana Rasputin, and yeah. that was an amazing. Uh, that did you see that by chance? Josh I Boone? actually did not. Nope. Oh my god, it's great! It was so it was like the death knell of. Um, the, is it Sony or no the Fox Marvel movies right we knew that we knew that Marvel was going to be picked up by Fox right. and X-Men or uh, uh, Disney and this was the last of the X-Men universe and it's a horror movie set in a uh and like a group home for kids that are basically mutants and I don't think they know they're mutants I won't give too much of the story away but it's uh it's very it's got real heavy buffy vibes and it's one of those things where super troubled production, they filmed it and it sat on the shelf for a year or two, and then they ended up dumping it in the middle of the pandemic. And because um, the kids in it, like she was one of the kids, uh, Maisie Williams from uh, Game of Thrones, one of the guys from, uh, what's it called, uh, Stranger Things, the older brother, uh, the, the cast just kept popping off. And then the director, the writer-director was this dude, Josh Boone, who ended up moving on and doing the stand adaption for um, CBS, right? So, yeah. like, okay. they had they had to get they had to do something with this movie. They could not let it die, and uh, they ended up dumping it in the theaters in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, she's she is sexy as fuck in that movie. So uh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing that doing that really good it's a really good one it's a real good comic book movie very unconventional but yeah she she was really good in this and then uh you know one of the what i was pleasantly surprised about is i am not at all a matt smith fan um he was my least favorite of the new doctors he looks very alien he just kind of i just didn't like his i hate to sound like like whatever but i didn't like the way i don't like the way the guy looks <laughs> you know what i mean and it wasn't until uh he's on the new game of thrones and i i like him in that and i was like you know this guy isn't too bad i should give him another i, I should give him a second shot and then watching him in this i thought he was pretty strong in this as well um 
So I definitely stand corrected there about about the talent. Yeah, I mean, it was really good. Speaking of the talent, uh, and speaking of the whole English thing, uh, Edgar Wright is pretty known to be a pretty strong like Bond fan. And uh-huh. there was actually two Bond girls in this movie. Okay. I wondered who, because on IMDb, Diane Rigg and yeah. Rita, are those the two? Okay, yeah. Yeah, you could tell from there. Oh, Terrence Stamp is in it too, uh, General Zod. Yep, yep. So yeah. so yeah, and not only that, uh, at the beginning of the movie, when she first, uh, when, oh, who is it? Uh, what was her name? Uh, when Eloise. Eloise meets Sandy, uh, she orders a Vesper, which is a drink that does not exist, and it is a James Bond character. Vesper from uh, Casino Royale, and she does order that drink, but yeah, it is for that. It's well, all there... about Ian Fleming's uh, Bond, and then there's tons of you know uh, Bond posters all throughout the film. And... Yeah, the Thunderball, the Thunderball yep. marquee when she first walks out into Soho. Yeah, um, that to me, Thunderball was. I'm not a huge Bond fan, although the idea of Edgar Wright doing a Bond movie just made my nuts fucking throb uh i would i that would get me back into the bond franchise holy shit would i definitely go see that stuff if they made that kind of bond again like that that would just be the most beautiful thing in the world um yeah that thunderball his his suit in that that's him wearing the white tuxedo and i used to uh, in high school my school dances um i would always get the white tuxedo and do that because i thought that that was so fucking badass I love that. Um, all the proms I went to, everything. White Tux. Um, but yeah, he, awesome. yeah he kind of... Th- this is very British. I mean, it's set in, it's set in England. Uh, it, it has very has a lot to do with the culture, the English countryside culture. Downtown London. Downtown London now. Downtown London in the 60s. Yeah, um, big difference. Yeah, and it's something that I didn't feel that I would really be able to relate to once again, why I kind of was hesitant to get into this. Um, but I think what, what I, what I appreciated is that what Edgar Wright's kind of talking about is that very specific places in time and history have a very specific energy, you know, um, right. Last night in Soho, you could, you could talk about, um, the 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 love that he shows for that period in time it, it it reminded me kind of of and this is a weird connection to make but like Cameron Crowe doing singles which was all about like 1992 Seattle and the Seattle grunge scene you know what i mean right yep it, it's kind of that level of immersion and I love that. I think that that's very interesting as a film, as a as an audience member for a filmmaker to take you somewhere and say, you know, I'm not just telling you a story that where the location is unimportant. It's very specific to that place and time. The story is not the same story without it. Um, I mean, maybe, but whatever. But you know, it's uh, he does a very good job at that, is capturing the ambiance, the, the essence of that, and it adds just for a more uh, robust experience. <laughs> as an audience member right 
Uh, so. Super. Another like super. I, I know Quentin Tarantino seems to come back to a lot of our movies, and it's kind of funny because we haven't done one of his, which I definitely would like to do one soon. But uh, originally, this movie was titled Red Light Area, uh, and then it was titled The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. But once uh, Edgar Wright had a conversation with Tarantino and uh, they basically had this whole conversation about how the last night in Soho was the best title music for a film that's never been made. Yeah, I think, I think they made the right decision there by going with this title. This title oh, yeah. is <laughs> a lot better, but oh, uh, sure. the soundtrack for this movie is absolutely fucking killer. Um, that's something that he he does very very well with this, where the music is spot on, and he uses uh, uses a lot of it. It's it's very much there, um, and it was uh, it's it's like another character in it, you know, which they kind of actually weave into the script. You know, she's a she listens to a lot of these records, and um, it kind of makes sense how much it's used. I, I was totally interested. I had no idea that uh, always something there to remind me who we kind of was popularized by the 1983 Naked Eyes cover was actually a Burt Bacharach song from the 60s um, that was sung by a female singer whose name I didn't write down in my notes. But uh, so that that was interesting to learn that because I'm like, ah, oh, they slipped up. They're playing an 80s. This is an 80s song. This is an 80s song. And then I looked into it and I'm like, oh, shit, this was actually a cover. So, huh. um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I knew that either. Yeah, he he did a very good job on the soundtrack and making that kind of a part of it as well. The distinction between the uh, the '60s and the and uh, present day was was funny. I think he, you know, it's not it's a movie not entirely set in the past. So what happens is just to give our audience a, a quick recap, in case you made it this far on the podcast and you have not seen this movie, is that Eloise uh, is a small town girl from like countryside England. And she goes to London for art, for like uh, uh, fashion design. And she's also uh, kind of a psychic and has the ability to see dead people. And it's something that her mother had as well. And we get the impression that it drove her mother to commit suicide. And it's something that she's dealing with, you know. And uh, she moves into a flat in Soho after uh, not being able to gel well with her college roommates, which was an awesome, funny side thing that just adds more texture to the story. We'll get that to in a second. I loved her roommate. I loved her and her roommate's friends dressing up like the crap for Halloween. Like, uh, great, great stuff there. But um, she goes to... Uh, she she doesn't like the dorm situation ends up moving into a uh an apartment in soho where um when she goes to bed at night she finds herself transported back in time uh where she's kind of following the sandy character played by uh how'd you pronounce her name anya taylor joy yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy. Okay. Follows her Sandy character around and sees, uh, much like Marilyn Monroe, see her, uh, the Sandy character kind of uh, fall, um, not realize her dreams of being a singer, which is why she moved into that same flat, 
so many years before, is to explore London and become a singer. Um, she finds herself abused and exploited by horrible uh, men that just treat her as a sex object. And it's it's there's it's not heavily dwelled upon, but there's an element of, um, you know, weaponizing your sexuality gone awry, and it comes back to bite her in the ass. And we think for most of the film that Sandy was murdered by uh, this this nightclub owner slash pimp slash entertainment agent, where the fuck he really was, played by Matt Smith. And uh, there's an element of. Uh, Eloise trying to solve Sandy's murder in the present day while potentially being stalked by the man, Matt Smith's character in the present day. And we end up finding at the end that none of that's actually true. There's a bigger twist, which we don't, I don't think have to spell out for the audience. I I think you should watch this movie if you haven't. Um, But yeah, that's kind of that. So it does jump back and forth in time. Uh, Eloise takes fashion cues from Sandy and elements and incorporates them into her fashion design school work to great success, which kind of drives a wedge between some of her and her students. And, um, yeah, that's kind of it. And then at the end, it turns into, you know, the, the what Eloise is being haunted by becomes more, uh, pronounced in her life and it really turns into like a ghost story something that i don't normally like i like a good monster you know what i mean but uh this worked and it almost becomes like a zombie movie like there's definitely shades of that and the way that he portrays the ghosts in it yeah a little bit yeah so actually yeah, i didn't even think about that before but yeah i would definitely they were very zombie-esque but uh right yeah uh this to me coming back from a lot so a lot of people have always said like oh you know there hasn't really been any good movies since the pandemic so let's say like since 2020 i always bring this movie up this is always the first one that i say because a lot of people are and like even some of my friends are like the last good movie that came out was uh once upon a time in hollywood I'm just like, have you seen Last Night in Soho? And they always tell me no, and I'm just like, it's Edgar Wright, which you everybody knows. And they're just like, yeah, I just kind of wasn't interested in it. And literally, the people that have taken my advice to listen to it, like you, come back saying the exact same thing. I fucking loved it. It was so good. Like, the writing was good. The editing was good. The transitions were good. Uh, all the also just all the different like little Easter eggs that you can see from Edgar Wright, like who he's inspired by, and all that. Like that's all over the film. Whether it's Bond or uh, some other sixties, uh, like uh, well, I say sixties, but he even kind of I feel like did a little bit of a how was it uh some 70s stuff in it, like Suspiria, I kind of felt like was a little in there. And then I cannot think of the 60s. Oh, uh, Repulsion. That was the movie I was thinking about. And then uh, he also went on to say that Don't Look Now was also a uh, inspiration of his for this. And I can definitely see that. But Repulsion I've seen, which, you know, 
people may not know. That's but, uh, it, what's his name? Uh, Roman Polanski. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how did I not? How did I forget that good man's name? Right. <laughs> so uh, that movie is uh, like a. It's just all these women who are, who just. Uh, I don't know. They're all depressed, and they just see a lot of violence. So, like, I I like that movie, but I definitely see it where it's at in here. Yeah, I actually own that movie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, um, which it's interesting. I didn't make that connection, but yeah, it. Uh, I could see it. I could see it definitely having a tie to that era of filmmaking, film and filmmaking. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's. He he goes all in. He goes balls deep in the sixties, and oh. he does it in the sexiest, most stylish way possible. Oh, we should also sure. m- mention real quick that uh, Edgar Wright directed it, but he co-wrote it with Christy Wilson Carnes, who um, relatively newcomer. But I mean, she did some work on Penny Dreadful. She wrote the script for Nineteen Seventeen, and uh, she's got a Netflix series coming out called The Good Nurse with uh, Elizabeth. Uh, or I'm sorry, Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne, where it looks like Jessica Chastain plays a killer nurse. So it, he it, he did have a female co-writer on this, which I think helped it. I mean, I don't, I I hate to do that, where like you know, male I mean, writers can't write female stories, but it is I mean, interesting to consider that like this is, I mean, this is. This I mean, is, it's his first female protagonist in a film, and it's a very female heavy. Um, film. I mean, you have you have the love interest, that kid. Okay, fine, but he's pretty much just a uh, whatever. I mean, you could have made that another girl, <laughs> and it would have been right. fine. You know, um, you have all the male characters from the '60s who are um not really portrayed that well. I mean, most of the male characters in this film are portrayed negatively. Uh, from the cab driver to the police officer to obviously the pimp and all the men that she was forced to sleep with. Um, yeah, that's another thing too, is that there, there's a implication of rape and sexual slavery here. That's almost more graphic and disturbing than anything from blonde i know these two episodes are going to come out differently but recording them both at the same time it kind of it's interesting this this got a lot darker than i thought it would there's that scene where she's walking through where the sandy character is walking through the back of that club and she sees the women giving head and shooting up and doing all this stuff um i don't think i was expecting that Right. You know, Edgar Wright really never went there before with his stuff. His stuff is always very lighthearted and uh, uh, energetic and goofy, I guess you'd say. A little silly. Um, right. Yeah, That's always sure. kind of been his vibe. And this one, it's probably his most serious film. I mean, Baby Driver, I guess, too. But even Baby Driver, as serious as it was, it was still playful, you know. Um, and this, this kind of has that fake playfulness of the sixties, but really shows a more sordid, darker vibe to it. You know, just uh, Sandy's character interjects life and vibrancy into the modern day, but 
at, you know, I'm not saying that the modern day somehow injects darkness into the sixties. That's the darkness was already there, but I think it's, it's a movie about tonal shifts, you know, uh, perception versus reality. And, uh, I think it definitely benefits from having a female writer. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and and the end. Even though we can't really talk too much about it, that, that well, was no, just, I guess, a good end. That was, want, it was a good ending. Do, do you want to uh, describe the ending? Uh, I mean, we'll be giving some stuff away. You know what? Let's do it because honestly, I w- I would like to talk about the ending a little bit because okay. I wrote in my notes I have awesome ending, all caps. <laughs> Three exclamation points, and then under that, I say, "Well, mostly." Right. <laughs> so is she drugged or what? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's spoil it. It's a it gets a little sloppy. I feel, but awesome. It's it's it's. I'm not saying it's the best of times or worst of times, but just I don't know. Give us the, give us a brief recap of the ending, if you will. All right. So basically, in the ending, uh, Eloise finds out who Sandy is. Uh, and she is, she is murdering all these men who took advantage of her. Uh, well, I think some of the men took advantage of her and I think she went and started using some of those cues of like hooking up and stuff to basically just be victims. But, uh, she, she killed like tons of people. They were in the walls. They were in the, the floorboards. They were in the ceiling. Like it was crazy. And yeah, so Eloise confronts Sandy, and they all they get into like a little nice little tussle, and eventually uh, everybody was kind of laid to rest. Yeah, um, yeah, we find out that Sandy did not die; that uh, she's actually been Eloise's landlord the entire time, and that maybe that's the reason why. Eloise was picking up her dreams at night or something. I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't if know if she was picking up her dreams. I think she was picking up the goat, the ghost, because you know she can. She had the shining, right? Right. And like, <laughs> so she was. I think she was able to basically. These ghosts were sending her messages, and this was they were trying to. I think show kind of like what happened and. Because, like I said, there may have been some innocent man, men in there, but at the same time, like when I first watched it, I definitely was just like, I mean, you know, those those guys, they, they pushed too much on her, and she probably, I mean, especially in the beginning of some of the dream sequences, it shows that she is not willing, but she also knows that, like, that's how she's going to move up in this gig that she has. And. I had no sympathy really for those men, but at the same time, I thought about how you know maybe there was some innocent men there. That see, that's where it gets. That's where the ending kind because there's a lot of fucking people in there. There's a lot of men in that room, and then it begs the question: What happened first? Did she kill her pimp, or did she kill like? Every single man that he was sending her to her for the past twenty men, 
and then he then then he comes to confront her saying hey i know you've killed these these 20 30 fucking johns that i've sent you because they come see you and then they disappear like that's where it started to kind of fall apart i love this movie i love the basic conceit of the twist where you find out that sandy is the landlord and i and the idea that sandy is the murderer or the the bad guy right right but and then it kind of starts to stop making sense because number one, if you just look at the way that ending scene plays out, she drugs Eloise with the intention of killing her because Eloise has found out who Sandy really is, found out that her landlord is Sandy and connected all these dots and gone to the police. And a very sympathetic policewoman actually believes her, believes that she has the shining and goes to confront her landlord, right? Right. So the landlord decides to to drug the fashion design student, right? But and 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 she falls over. But then she gets up and she completes what she has to do for the rest of the movie, not drugged. So right then and there, you're like, wait. So is she drugged or what? Right? They don't explain how she overcomes her druggedness, right? Um, unless she just was not drugged properly. Maybe that's it. Okay, whatever. Then there's the whole idea that what was actually happening this whole time was that Sandy wasn't murdered in the past. That's what we think happened. Sandy actually murdered her pimp, played by Matt Smith, right? But along with that, she also murdered, let's just say, 20 of the men that she was coerced into sleeping with. Or forced to sleep with, however you want to fucking say it. I, were those men? And, and then the movie makes the makes the argument that those men, those men that were that visited a prostitute, were somehow victims when the prostitute killed them. But what's not clear is the level of consent, if any, that Sandy had, number one. And number two, I guess it's nice that we're not demonizing, because this is something I think we brought up, we might have brought up on an earlier show, I brought up on the Wednesday show, this idea that like we demonize, we, we, we try not to demonize sex workers. Oh, it was when we were talking about, um, oh, that movie that you wanted me to, The Revealer. Oh right, yeah. We're like the 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 strip the nudie booth girl is 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 clear of sin, but for some reason her patrons are like the fucking scum of the earth, right? Same thing here. We're like Sandy. I guess they're actually doing that. We're like the guys that are visiting the prostitute are still victims when the prostitute kills them. There's not this like wonky movie morality where they deserve to die just because they were fucking a hoe for money. It's like I don't know. Like it's it gets very murky. Um, <laughs> And I don't want to say it ruined the movie for me, but there was a little bit of head scratching when, it, like, when you said like, yeah, I liked it, but it took me a couple of days to digest. I think what happens is eventually you realize that like, it kind of fumbles the ending a little bit, I think, but overall it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> that, that probably is actually what it was. Is that, yeah. You know, cause I was trying to think of like back then, like what it was that made me kind of, flop on it but i do think it's the end because watching it now with the ending knowing everything it just feels different it's kind of like whatever because i already enjoyed my movie going experience for the first two-thirds of the movie so and then it's all it's it's only really like what like 10 minutes that that the ending is where it's like everything's coming out and like you know, I try not to let that bother me, but I do. When I first saw it, I I do think that is what kind of like kept me 
like I was like, what? Like, was it good? But then eventually, obviously, I was like, no, I really loved it. Like, I actually did like this movie a lot. And and maybe it just was that last little 10 minutes or so. But, yeah. Yeah, I would rewatch. I'm, I'm going to rewatch this one on my own at some point. Um, because I do want to see how the movie plays with the different twists being uh, being revealed and knowing them. So it's kind of suggested through most of the movie that the Terrence Stamp character in 2021 is Matt Smith when he's older, even though I I was like, oh, is that what he grew up to look like? Like It's kind of, they don't bear too much of a resemblance. But you no. think, okay, the passage of time, whatever. Right. Um, so that that's one of the earlier twists when you realize, oh, it's not all as it's supposed to be. Now, I did pick up on when she's going through the microfilm at the, at the uh, library that there was a lot of missing persons cases. There was a lot of banker is missing, businessman missing. Right, and I'm missing. pretty sure all those men were part of yes. Sandy's like, victims. Yeah. So. so while the movie was progressing, I noticed that that's what they were showing me, and I thought, oh, there's a reason for that. And and that kind of tied in at the end when it all came together. Um, but yeah, you kind of figure out what's going on 15 seconds before the main character does. She's sorting through some mail, and she sees... Uh, Sandy, and Sandy wasn't her real name. Her real name was Alex something. And uh, she sees that on a piece of mail and she realizes what's going on. And right. also, when, when, when she first meets her landlord, the landlord goes, oh, I used to clean up here back in the day. And I ended up buying the place. And what was interesting about that was that I kept waiting for the landlord lady to show up in the past somewhere. Right. That seemed like too weird of an explanation. Oh, I was the maid here. And then it was like, where's the where's the maid? And I almost expected there to be a scene where Sandy's character meets the 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 landlord back in the 60s and offers to clean up or something. That might be a deleted scene. I might actually buy this on Blu-ray just to own it and, and look at the deleted scenes and all that stuff. If there's director commentary, I would definitely listen to it. Um, right. It's it it is a it is a really good movie, and I I think that like I said, it might be one of Edgar Wright's. It might not be my personal favorite of all his, but I think it's definitely it shows that he's making better and better films, um, and he's definitely a look at me like I'm scouting new talent. He's a filmmaker to watch, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no man, I mean you're talking about the films of the 21st century. Like this guy is one of the directors, you know. And his yeah, next, for sure. his next project is uh, the Running Man. Holy shit! Oh, is it like a like a remake? Yeah, huh. and he's writing it with uh, with the Scott Pilgrim screenwriter. Okay. Wow. Yeah, prior to the, prior to this adaption, Edgar Wright said on Twitter that the Running Man was the film that he most wanted to remake. Well, have you ever read that book? Uh no, but I do have it. It's completely different <clears throat> than the Schwarzenegger movie, right? And in the book, he's running around like in the world. So like he's not, you know how in the in the Schwarzenegger movie, like he's in like some weird arena or something, right, right, right. And in in the book, like he's in the real world. He's like in wherever. Gotcha. And uh, also at the end. He hijacks an airplane 
and flies it into the uh, television studio. Oh. It kills everybody. So I don't know if they'll do that, obviously, for uh, obvious reasons. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. kind of out of... Uh, they nobody might does st- that anymore. Yeah. So I don't know, like, I don't know if they'll... Um, I don't know if they'll remake the movie or if he's gonna re- if he's gonna redo the book, you know. Gotcha. And then, did you ever see the Sparks Brother documentary? No, I haven't. That he did. Maybe we should. Maybe we should watch that. Hmm. Uh, Running Man was that written by the same guy that does Total Recall? Uh the original. I don't know. Let me look real quick. Uh it might have been. Well, I mean, they're both Schwarzenegger films. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about, like, the book. No, Running Man is Stephen King. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Well, I think, okay. it's, I think it's Bachman. He was using the Bachman, Bachman name Bachman, yes. Okay, yeah, that was, yeah, okay. I'm and then Total of... Recall is Philip K. Dick. Yeah, 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 that guy, Dick. But that's not, I, I hear that's not an apples for apples transit, translation either. You no, know. it's not. Total Recall's and, a Paul Verhoeven movie. That's why there's fucking three tits in it. He's the guy that did right. Showgirls and Robocop and everything. Yep. yep. Yeah. No, the the Running Man, the uh, Schwarzenegger yeah, that one. Yeah, was a uh, king. Paul I totally Mike forgot Lester. about that. Written by Steven D'Souza, who I want to say wrote Die Hard 2. He wrote Die Hard and Die Hard 2, 48 Hours, Commando, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Judge Dredd, bunch of uh, Hudson Hawk, <laughs> man, and then Paul Michael Glasser directed the original Running Man. Let's see what he did. Uh, Starsky and Hutch remake, bunch of TV. <laughs> no, he did not do the Starsky and Hutch remake. I think he was an actor in that. So, uh, from Richard oh, he was Starsky Bachman. on Starsky and Hutch. Wow. Oh, okay. So the guy that played Starsky and Starsky and Hutch directed the original Running Man. I did not know that. That's crazy. Learn something That's, every day. That is crazy. Hmm. Now he does episodes of Criminal Minds. So. All right, anything else for last night at Soho? Uh no, I was just going to ask what Richmond uh or Richard Bachman books did you like? <laughs> like this The Long of... Walk. The okay, I was literally about to say The Long Walk is probably top 3 Stephen King books for me. Is that Stephen King or, or Bachman? I mean, it's Bachman, but it's yeah. a, it's still Stephen King. I also really liked Thinner, which a lot yeah. of people I don't think liked. But no, that was my number two. Okay, Thinner is say. a Thinner is a great book because it's like it. It's very like nuts and bolts. Like it just feels like it. It feels like he was writing that for a film adaption, but it's got like the weird subplot with the mobster guy or whatever. Like yeah. 
Yeah, I actually a lot of people. And now I do know that people disagree with this, but I actually like the movie. I think more than the book. I haven't like, seen the movie. That, so that now, movie came out when there was like a glut. They were they were turning every Stephen King book into yeah. a movie. It was one so, of those phases where, where we go through in culture, like <clears> twenty years. Right. <laughs> and we're about to hit it. We're we're in another one right yes, now. Yes, we are. <laughs> we're in that time period right now. Yes, thinner uh, was from the thinner movie was from the last time that we were here in society. But uh <laughs> Thinner wasn't like I mean it wasn't like it was definitely like a B kind of movie, but it was just the way that it ended with just and I can't remember in the book because it's been so long since I read the book, but I felt like the ending of that movie was just it was just such a fuck you thing and i'm just like how does the movie end so the movie ends with uh you know he's like he goes back to the gypsy and basically gets like this pie that is going to kill his wife and the the the, uh his like doctor because they're they're seeing each other they are in a relationship so they're uh his wife's cheating on him and then his daughter fucking eats the pie yeah and it was, I don't know, it was just that ending has always like stayed in my brain. So I, that's it. I think it's just the ending. I think that's all it is. Just like the mist, you know, the mist ending movie is so much better than the, the book. And like, that's crazy. Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, fuck okay, the mist yeah. is the mist is my go-to when someone says, "What's your favorite horror movie?" Oh it's, really? It's it's the mist in black and white. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and that's how the book ends as well. Uh, I think the the very last line is like, uh, so he sliced, he, he, he took out a plate and sliced himself a piece of gypsy pie and that was it. And it's him eating cause his daughter ate it and he realizes his daughter's going to die. So he kills himself by eating it himself right. too. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Then maybe, maybe I like them both the same. I just couldn't remember. But in the mist, that ending so much better than the book because in the book everybody like they escape they live everything gets taken care of but in the fucking movie everybody dies except for him because he lost faith yeah, yeah it's the fucking and army the shows goes up by. Yes. yes oh that, god so good i was in the theater seeing that i saw that i saw the mist in the theater we should do I that because that's gotta be a recent i saw one, the mist so. in the theater yeah and I, I it was me and it was probably like a handful of people and um, I just remember, like, someone screaming at the screen, like, what? What? No! And, and everyone was like, holy fuck! Like, we had... we You knew it was The Mist. You knew it was Darabont. You knew it was uh, Twilight Zone episode. The reviews were good. I went opening weekend, so there was no spoilers. The internet was in its infancy. There was not, like, all this shit, you know. And, uh... Oh my god. Nobody fucking was expecting that ending. And everybody was just like, oh! Like, the audible just like, everyone in the theater was just fucking crushed by it. And I thought, god damn, I can't remember I can't remember outside of like a comedy. Because like, comedy is like, you laugh. Like, you react to what you're seeing on screen. They're getting a physical reaction from the audience. They're getting, you know, but if you see like a good scary movie, maybe you jump. You know what I mean? If you see a good drama, maybe you cry a little bit. But right. those are very subdued emotions. Laughing is an uncontrollable thing that happens, right? But, like, that movie, I've never seen a movie get that much of a visceral reaction from the audience. 
And uh, that's why when people say, "What's your favorite horror movie?" Like, dude, I gotta go with the mist. I've never, I've never experienced anything like that. I've never seen anything like that before in the theater. Like, I love when these videos surface of like audiences in the '80s seeing like The Exorcist for the first time in the '70s or whatever. You know what I mean? There's or there's like right. here here's a picture of the ch- chest bust bursting scene from uh alien. alien and you get to yeah. see how people react to do it the first time and people are always very animated and losing their shit you don't see that with modern day audiences as much you know no. um and the mist i i saw that i actually like dude i i hate that because like today you know halloween nightmare on elm street all these like slasher films that were all basically original right they like i don't have that anymore like I mean, nobody really does. Like all these new movies that are coming out, like that's why I'm so down for all these uh, kind of like taboo things and movies. Like I want them to fucking make audiences like hate it. <laughs> like I want them to, I want them to have like priests outside the theater blessing it. Like that's like you know that that was with The Exorcist, and that is like all I'm asking for. Yeah, is something so crazy. Uh, but also good like the exorcist was good it got it it had oscar nominations so like for it to be recognized and then also to be able to make people actually sick (laughs) like that's insane to think about that that happened and i'm over here watching all these movies like not even thinking twice about them like just like oh like i like them and i i like i really like them but that's just like like I bought a Vincent Price collection the other day and I've been watching it and I was like thinking I was like man I was like I never realized how much like I really love this old shit and I think it's because it I know that it changed people's lives <laughs> like literally like the these everything that we watch from basically right before like up to 79 is that's where all of our modern horror are a lot of modern dramas and thrillers they're all based off of that they're all based off of through the 60s and 70s and it's just really cool to kind of deep dive into that and i and for me it's more like my reactions are more like smiling and being happy but like like oh that was cool but at the same time it's like man if i was in a theater like in 1972 watching this or like or like think about like watching halloween for the first time like in theaters with a bunch of people like you would have gone home and you wouldn't have fucking had a babysitter you wouldn't like like nobody's calling anybody over like (laughs) like i don't know like people would get paranoid from it that's how like crazy it was and today it's all like i don't know it's a very like smashed down our our throats and i just don't think there's like i mean maybe for some people you still get that uh authenticity like reaction and that just like that very genuine like gasp and stuff but like for me like half the time i almost figure out the movie before 30 minutes are up and which is really disappointing but at the same time but it doesn't hurt like it's all like okay well like i still like the movie i just i've seen this before kind of deal yeah there's i think there's an element of um jaded audiences not jaded but just you know I mean, hey, there's only there's only so many chords. You can only write a song so many different ways. There's only so many right. different stories we keep telling, and I think there's that. I think there's you're sticking to a formula, and I think people don't uh, 
<laughs> the last time, the last time I remember, I, I take that. Okay, so we went to go see. Um, I know I talked about it before, but best movies, uh, best movies never made podcast. I absolutely love it. And one of the co-hosts of it is this dude, Josh. I forget his name. I want to say Josh Miller, maybe. He's uh, he's the screenwriter for a lot of different things. One of them happens to be the Sonic the Hedgehog movies. And my son really liked the first. So I made sure we went, all right, we'll go see the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. He wanted to go see it. We went and saw it. He really liked it. I thought it was not bad either. It was. It's cool to see Jim Carrey and shit still. Like, I don't know. Right. I get a real big kick out of that. And it's a, it's a goofy role. He's chewing up the scenery. It's Dr. Robotnik. I remember Sonic the Hedgehog. So Sonic the Hedgehog 2 came out. It's got Knuckles. And it's got Tails. I remember those games. I played at least that. I played Sonic games for that long. And once again, it's the screenwriter who I like his podcast. All right. So we went and we saw it. They had like an advanced screening. And uh, we got tickets to it. So we saw it like that Wednesday. And it wasn't coming out till that Friday. So it was the same time that the critics were seeing their version of it too. So there was no spoilers. There was no nothing. Right? And I, we could talk about it now. I don't think anyone gave a fuck. If you actually made this long <laughs> into the podcast on last night of Soho. But... Uh, Gold Sonic shows up at the end of the movie. And when Gold Sonic showed up at the end of that fucking movie, this guy, this grown-ass fucking man, sitting behind us like three rows back, yells, Jesus Christ! Fucking (laughs) as if, and he starts clapping, as if every dream that he had ever had for like uh, for fucking cinema had been revealed in front of him. Like this was the this was the this was everything he always wanted to see in a fucking movie. I mean, I'm and happy for him. He completely lost his shit. And the same thing happened now that I think about it to a slightly lesser extent when me and my kid went to go see the Dragon Ball Z movie and there's some fight at the one that just came out. There's some fight I don't know how much of a Dragon Ball Z fan you are, but Goku fights some guy and the guy beat Goku and it was done really jokingly, and everyone's like, "Yes!" Like that finally happened. The audience right. erupted in a no, fucking I, I applause. I like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, I, I need a. I've been wanting to rewatch it because it's been like twenty years. Dude, so. Yeah, there's twenty years worth of material there. There's like that shit was on. He, I caught. I caught my kid watching the original series. It's just, just Dragon Ball. And uh, yeah, I liked. That's what I liked. I liked Dragon Ball, and I liked Dragon Ball Z. But all the new stuff, it's just like it's just too much. I start seeing like all these characters that used to be dead are back, and I'm like, what? So yeah, they're aliens. It's weird. I yeah, had like, he, he had to give me kind of a primer before we went into it, and then I was I fell asleep during it. I'll be honest, I fall asleep <laughs> during those kids' movies a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's I, I you know I think it's probably a very rewarding thing. If you've been there since Jump Street, it's a very probably rich. Right. It's like it's like Canterbury Tales, and, and like the amount of depth that that story goes into. But uh, for like an average person, I'm like I don't know. I like my anime little kids and giant robots. You know, that's 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 the kind of anime that I skew towards. Right. This, this was just karate fighting aliens, and I'm like, <laughs> whatever, man. But yeah. No, it was, uh, I, I, I heard okay things about that, about Dragon Ball Z, the, or, the, like, the movie that came out. But yeah, that's how, like, I feel about, like, with cinema. Like, I just, there's some, something I want, and I crave, and I used to call it a horror boner. 
<laughs> like that's what I used to call it. And I was like, I want one so bad. Like I want this movie to just like fucking change me or something. But like or or just arouse me. I don't know. Something to the point where like I will always remember this. But it has the only time that I think I can remember that is is that tooth that summer back in two thousand seven and I watched The Departed for the first time. And the fucking ending, like the last like 20 minutes of the movie, I was like, what the fuck? Like the whole fucking, like every other minute, I was like, what the fuck's going on? But yeah, I think that was the last one that really got to me. Or wow. one of them. I'd have to really think about it. Like I really would. Yeah. Not even I the Marvel I- stuff. You're not like a, cause I'll, I'll say that like, they're pretty good for, I like the, them, but like I, I felt like I knew, like you kind of know where the, what's going to happen and what they're going to do. Like I, so we had like a little pool going on with our friends, and we were like, we bet like who was going to die, and I won that pool. Yeah, but like you know, even when they're all resurrected and the Avengers assemble thing, I mean, even though like how they had to get to that point where they bring Thanos back, it's a different timeline, Thanos or some whatever shit. That was right. kind of clunky. But just for that moment of Captain America walking out of the field and then Falcon goes on your right, which is the same thing that he said to him when they were running around the track in Winter Soldier. Right. And, <laughs> I don't know. Well, like, okay, so like that kind of stuff, like almost in a sense where like you kind of get like goosebumps, like that happiness yeah. again. You're like, yeah, yeah I, I do get happy still watching movies. So yeah, like you're right. Like there was a lot of buildup for those Marvel movies to like keep referring, like having all those references, right? Uh-huh. So especially with Winter Soldier, because that was probably the best Captain America, anyways. Yeah. But uh, I I think I'm more looking some. I want something more romantic. Like I want something where it's like I don't know. I think I want it with horror. I think that's what it is. Is I want a revolutionary horror film. I want something that I've I haven't seen before, but I want it to be so popular that it scares the masses, but we can't stop looking. Like you know what I mean. Like, I want it to be on that edge of the... Because I've watched The Exorcist today, and The Exorcist, to me, I respect what it is. But, like, when it comes down to me making a top ten horror movie list or something like that, or, like, of my favorite, my personal favorite, it doesn't even hit it. I actually personally like the third Exorcist better than the first one. Do you... Did you have a religious upbringing? Uh... Yeah, a little bit. Like, often... Like, it depends on the time, really. But, yeah, like, I was raised in, like... A, a Catholic church. I feel like that has a lot to do with how the exorcist hit. Okay. Um, I think you, you're talking about a, a, a an era of uh, American culture where we weren't quite full-blown satanic panic yet, mm-hmm. but there was a little like, oh, fucking heavy metal music and you know, <laughs> right. all that shit. Like, well, Led Zeppelin at least. She had some stuff. You know, the devils in rock and roll. So you had you had this the Judeo Christian uh, choke, uh, fucking uh, American culture was still there. We we were we were a more civilized, conflicted. Uh, I mean, I guess we're we're still conflicted today. But I, I feel like that just we got to keep that in mind when you watch The Exorcist. Like there right. was a lot of people that thought the devil was like very real and making a horror movie about literally the fucking devil. Um, 
hit with a lot of people. Because you don't have right. think about like the brilliance of that. Like you don't, and that's why these possessions and these exorcism movies kind of tend to do well, is that you don't need to explain any of that too much. People just automatically know. Like right. we we all know who Satan is. We all know that the devil possesses people. Like you don't need to spell shit out like you're explaining the backstory of Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees. It's, it's fucking Satan. You know, or I know it's not really that in The Exorcist. It's uh, what is it? Um, but not what is it? The the demon Pazuzu or whatever. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So isn't that, it's, it's close enough? Close enough. You know, right. people people get that. So I think that you were you were preaching to the choir almost with that movie, and it confirmed a lot of people's fears and suspicions. You know, she gets possessed because she's a uh, playing with a. Um, Ouija, Ouija board, and she's board. not baptized, yeah. right? Like, because her mom is just like, oh, I didn't believe in that. So she's like this baby boomer uh, product of the 60s and 70s counterculture that kind of strayed away from religion. So it's a little bit of a cautionary tale. Remember to say your prayers at night, kids. Remember to baptize your children. Like, right. it, I feel like it, we're not in that place anymore. So it, it's kind of hard. And that's why they still make exorcism movies, but they don't. There's not. There hasn't been another exorcist. Right. I don't know if we ever really would. I think Kevin Smith did something really fucking interesting with Red State that didn't necessarily land. Maybe it was too soon. Maybe it was uh maybe it was um you know, it didn't hit hard enough, but I I think that he what he was trying to do with that movie was really was really interesting. And I feel like something like that could potentially work again. You know, as far as where we're at as a country right now. Yeah, that was if, a pretty cool movie, too. Yeah, if you were to make a horror movie about the radical right or the left, either one. Right. You know what I mean? And isn't oh, that dude. what isn't that what Get Out kind of is? Is a movie about the left? I don't know. Uh, pretending yeah, to be out. the right? You know, uh, you know? Yeah, Get Out was kind of more left-leaning. Or the then... right pretending to be the left? I mean, like, just this idea of... I think if you, to politicize horror once again, I think, you know, you got to tap into like underlying fears that we have as a culture and that's right. where the good horror lives. That's what the exorcist did. Right. And I, I do, like, I don't think that there's, uh, films that don't don't the zombie necessarily, movies. right. Oh yeah. yeah. Those were really big. And, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, what their times, like races, that movie, like the ending of that movie was always something that was troubling like it just sucked like it's like come on like he just like this guy killed all these zombies protected all these people and then the matter's black yeah Yeah. and that sucked but uh no like i can see that i definitely agree with that i think there's some movies that do really well and still touch on that it's just i want to see you know maybe maybe i'm just jaded maybe maybe it's just not good enough for me because of how much I watch and stuff like that, which I couldn't make anything better. So it's not, it's not like that. It's just, maybe I'm just that excited for the next best thing. Cause like, even when I go to the theater, like, and want like, I want to go watch that new movie smile that just came out. Like, and all my friends so far, I have a couple friends that texted me saying, dude, you have to go see this. It was really good. Like, am I going to go watch it now and think of, uh, have like a higher expectancy of it. Like, and then I'm going to be really disappointed at the end 
Or is this something that I'm going to be like, what the fuck did I just watch? But then it's also, you know, it's fucking smile. Like, is it going to be that creepy? <laughs> like, like I've seen some photos from it. Like it looks like it looks good, but I don't know. I think, I think I'd try to look too deep into stuff. I still think that there's like definitely like good movies. Like, you know, I loved the, out of like the last 10 years. I mean, look, I love the empty man. So that movie was fucking all actually, to be honest with you, the empty man to me was something that was a little different, but yeah. it, didn't, it didn't get that love. And, you know, it probably should have been shorter. Probably, you know, it, it, it had its quirks, but like at the same time, I just don't think people, I guess we're just in a different, uh, genre of horror right now. There's not a lot, like maybe I'm just, because of my age, I'm just in a, not in a good spot where horror is good like really good at the moment you know what i think you go through different phases of your life and there's different stuff that appeals to you there was we had we had mentioned the movie um i forget who we were talking to but i think we were talking about an actress and she was in the movie contracted which is this body horror movie that's basically right. a, a yeah. riff on herpes and yep. oh that movie scared the shit out of me in my fucking 20s uh <laughs> if i were to watch it now i'd probably be like eh. but if you were to watch if i was to watch something now about children being like black phone i think probably struck a little bit more of a chord um because of uh the kids being a parent and and seeing you know uh domestic violence and stuff like that uh right. it rang true with me i mean even even seeing blonde like we made a joke about it earlier but like you know beating i'm i'm married so when i see a a, a guy beat his wife with a fucking belt i'm just like geez right fucking, why did that occur to me i don't know um <laughs> gotta get out. stuff done cut that out, cut that out. <laughs> just believe it um yeah i don't know it uh I think it depends on where you're at. That's what I mean. And certain things that are scary to some people are going to be scary to others. And uh, I think if, if what strikes a chord to the audience, it just depends on what the audience is, you know. And the American people change, so American audiences want different things, you know. I have I don't have too much of an interest in Smile, you know. I'll listen right. to your feedback and maybe I'll get it VOD, but I ain't making a trip <clears> to see that. I will go see, um, and I I will go see it. Even though I have Peacock and I could see that Halloween ends at home, I will go see it in the theater just because I want to support that. I want to support yep. Danny McBride and them, and I want to have that theatrical experience with my son yep. where we go see that and we sit in that theater. And, uh, you know, I, I could make a joke about animated audience, theater, animated theatrical audiences in Chicago versus animal animated theatrical audiences in North Carolina, where you live. Uh, maybe we go see movies with different people, but uh, I know that when I go see that movie uh, opening weekend, that it will be a very lively audience, and uh, I look forward to that experience. I was going to ask if you like that or not. I actually do like that. Some of my friends, they don't. They're like, I'd rather go when it's quiet. And I'm just like, I, wanna, I, I like it when it's, uh, yeah, I could see that. It depends. But I do. I like it when the audience is interactive in the sense of, uh, like, gasps. And not. I don't want them necessarily clapping in the middle of it. But, like. I would like I'm okay with like a what the fuck or like oh, or like shit like that like that that or like laughing and stuff that's cool with me. But oh like, no, we'll go we'll go see Halloween ends and there'll be motherfuckers screaming at the screen 
telling the people what to do. I that, had somebody do that, and I think I was watching. Ooh, what was I watching when that happened? It actually may have been Halloween Kills, and people were like yelling at the screen, "Don't go in there! <laughs> Don't go up those stairs!" <laughs> like I'm just like God, like you know, I don't know. My yeah. mom does that. <laughs> I tried. I, I'm just like mom. Shut up. I uh, I. I the only time I had that blow up in my face. So blockbuster like the like Jurassic World or like the the Marvel movies. I usually go to that Thursday because I want to see it right away. I don't want the internet to spoil it for me. But you don't have as much riffraff as you do over the weekends, and you basically right. you have the hardcore nerds that are there at like the five o'clock on Thursday screening. That's the one right. I go to. Those are my people. Um, horror movies. It like like Halloween Kills. I definitely want to see with a lively audience because I feel like that's going to be part of it. Um, I had that blow up in my face though with those uh, John Krasinski. Um, oh, what is it called? Quiet Place. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Where like most of the movie is like silent. Yeah. <laughs> because like that's the whole thing. Right. Yeah. You need to go see that at like. 10 a.m. on a Tuesday. Like, so, you, you do not want to see that with a weekend audience right. that's fucking yelling at each other and checking their cell phones and shit and yelling at the screen because that ruins the whole fucking thing. It does. And yeah. I, you know what? I may have spoke too early. I do think A Quiet Place was one of those films that was kind of like our exorcist. It works against itself because it's, it it's, very, yeah. it's very effective, but it requires silence to be effective. Right. And theater-going audiences, it's just, yeah, yeah. I don't know if those movies are better watched at home. I saw both of them in the theater. But when I did too. We, when we saw the first one, man, there was a couple on a date that I don't know if they were high or drunk or whatever, and I ain't judging them for any of it, but I'm just saying, like, they would not shut the fuck up. And, like, you can't do that with that movie. And when we saw the second one, I think we we honestly did go like it was in the summer. I, I I I don't know if I wasn't back at work yet or something, but like I went in the middle of the day because I was like I can't deal with this shit, and it, it was right. good. It was it was exactly what it needed to be, you right? Know? But that would be interesting. I would love to hear. Uh, I would love to hear the filmmaker talk about that, right? About making a movie. Making a horror movie where the audience has to sit in silence and not react to things. Yeah, it was you know? pretty good, and it was pretty quiet at the end too. Like, I mean, the first the first one, uh, I felt like the the audience that we were sitting in they did really well with it. It wasn't very loud. I felt like people were really invested. <laughs> yeah. So. All yeah. right. Uh, that's it for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 